This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Let me be explicit. Right now, in this podcast, there's some explicit language. It's Tuesday, April 23rd, 2019 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The singer Kate Smith recorded a rendition of God Bless America that was famously played before Philadelphia Flyer home games in the 1970s when the Broad Street bullies were on Broad Street for one. It turns out that during her illustrious recording career, she put some notes on vinyl that were, by today's standards, strictly speaking, totally and completely racist. Someone had picked cotton. Someone had a plan to call. Someone had a slave and be able to sing. That Okay, it is not often that you play a song that was considered wholesome entertainment in 1931 and you wind up worrying it needed a trigger warning in 2019. This song and another similarly racistly tinged ditty caused some consternation for the teams that had been playing the Kate Smith recording of God Bless America. When the new songs emerged, the Flyers and the New York Yankees, who play Kate Smith's God Bless America during the seventh inning stretch, were put in an odd and uncomfortable position. Now, it's weird to talk about these new songs emerging. She was an an extremely famous singer, and it's not as if her catalog was lost to the ages or something. Anyone who cared to look could have found that she sang racist songs 88 years ago. It would be as if in the year 2084, there was some Madonna backlash because someone found that she sang a song called Crazy For You. And in 2084, you can imagine that speaking of mental illness, that way will not be countenanced. So the Flyers had a decision to make. And I thought this would be one of those multi-day chewing and froing and the backlash to the backlash and the who's the real race. Nope, she's out. She was out pretty quickly. The Yankees nixed her even quicker. The Flyers covered a statue outside the stadium, a statue of Kate Smith covered it with a tarp, then removed it. The Yankees decided to stop playing God Bless America, or the Kate Smith version, at least during the seventh inning stretch. I actually, upon further review, by the book, can see why the teams made this decision. What are the costs of sticking with Kate Smith? A constant barrage of criticism every day. Criticism for an optional musical choice where one specific version of this song causes you a massive headache, but there are, I don't know, nine to 12,000 perfectly acceptable other versions. So those are the costs of keeping Kate Smith. What's the cost of axing Kate Smith? Uh, Two days on WIP Sports Radio where you get this call. Yeah, hi, Mikey. It's Tony from Mayfair. What are the Flyers doing? What next? Are they going to audit Gritty? I mean, but really, all the Yankees have to do is instead of pushing one button, 
push a different button. That's it. And by the way, God bless America during the seventh inning stretch. That is some New York Yankees bullshit right there. The Steinbrenner family trying to insinuate itself between mom and apple pie. For the Flyers, a little bit higher cost. They put her statue up. But that was a pretty dumb choice to begin with when you think about it. There are literally hundreds of people who've played for the Flyers or worked for the Flyers or supported the Flyers who meant more to the success of the Flyers than Kate Smith did. Seriously, who has given more wins to the Flyers? Kate Smith or Sergei Bobrowski? Clearly it's Sergei Bobrowski. It's not the Flyers' fault. They only got a second rounder back for him after the trade. Brad Marsh deserves a statue more than Kate Smith. Peter Zezel, statue more than Kate Smith. Ilka Sinisalo deserves a statue more than Kate Smith. I knew the day would come when I got to just list a bunch of Philadelphia Flyers on the show. There was one other factor going on with this decision. One other factor playing into why people so badly wanted to do away with Kate Smith. I think it's because everyone in their own way knows a Kate Smith. Oh, I don't mean a person like Kate Smith, you know, someone who did something years ago that she might not have done today if she were alive and not 111 years old. I mean, people know an actual person named Kate Smith. Between Kate Smith, Cat Smith, Kathy Smith, Catherine Smith, everyone knows one. If you went down to your average high school girl's softball game in Mecklenburg County, North Carolina, I'd say most of the middle infield would be named Katie Smith. I'm not exactly sure how that plays into the quick reaction, but if you compare it to the time when Al Campanis said something racist, or the time when Don Imus said some racist stuff, and those guys last for days, I think, I think it's something to think about. When the racist person shares a name with someone you don't want to think of as racist, you immediately strike out against the racism. Because we couldn't live with Katie Smith. What? Katie Smith is a racist? No, not that Katie Smith. Okay, fine. Can we just all put it behind us? Great. Are we done? Excellent. Now we could all go back to not caring about hockey. On the show today, it's a CNN town hall. Actually, it's five in a row. A lot of content. I say set the spiel to double speed, and you'll have saved four hours, 53 minutes. But first... She is an actress, director, writer, and the star of a new sitcom based on the age-old idea of the fish out of water. And it works. And that is how good Lake Bell is at her job. She pulls off the fish out of water while at the same time being named after a body of water. You know, in a way, Abe Vigoda achieved something similar in his career. But still, this is a milestone in sitcom history. The delightful, even more so than Abe Vigoda, Lake Bell. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Lake Bell is an actress and a writer and a director who you know, and she's out with a new ABC series called Bless This Mess. I want to get into all of this, but there are so many ways I could introduce her, and I think I want to introduce her just by quoting uh, this line from an article that The Telegraph ran about her. For Bell, 
is far more than simply a hot actress who regularly appears on lists of the world's most desirable women and on covers of men's magazines, happy to get her kid off. Was that gratifying wow. when the Telegraph noted wow, wow, that wow. you're more than a piece of sex meat who enjoys being naked? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, That's why you Telegraph. <laughs> um, appreciate it. Um, uh, that is quite an intro, mm-hmm. incidentally. Yeah. Um, you know, I look, I've got two kids now, so I'm like, thanks for the acknowledgement, you know. Um, Hat tip to you, sirs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you. Uh, but no, I look, I think at the end of the day, I don't think, you know, just because I'm like a writer, director, producer, you know, doesn't mean that I can't have femininity or can't exude femininity. You exude, you can't help. Come on. You come can't on. Help but exude vem- uh, femininity. Listen, mm-hmm. I mean, come on. So this for the new, kids. <laughs> this is what I want to talk about. Okay. We could go a million places. Sure. I want to talk about actually this show, where you think it fits in our. Uh, cultural firmament or media landscape or cliche and how it comes to be. So you're an executive producer also, right? So so I I created I Liz Merriweather and I co-created it. Right. So we sat on a couch and like thought of the idea. This is awesome. So Liz Merriweather is the yeah, creator you, of Good Girl. N- no, the new girl. New girl. Yeah. I used to say I used to always say but you said the new girl. So we're new both girl. wrong. Well, it's new girl. New girl. Fine. All right. But I just don't want to say the Game of Thrones. I don't want to be one of those. Listen, guys. Yeah. I, the night is young. Right. I, I could be so, that person. She's creator of New Girl. She's really funny. You know her from where? We knew each other from. She wrote No Strings Attached, um, and I was in it. Yes. And I kind of played ostensibly like her personage, like her. Like I play her as uh-huh. <laughs> she wrote herself kind of into it, and then I played her. So we became tight on that, and then. Years passed, you know, we went off and did our own thing. She was on New Girl and, like, becoming a TV, like, mastress, yeah. you know, of, yeah. all, of all trades. And and I then was making indie movies and doing all kinds of other stuff over here. And then we kind of came together. Like, she got hitched. She got knocked up. I had two kids. And all of a sudden, we found ourselves Those having coffee. Those are the coffee. life events hitched and knocked up, not the movies correct. hitched and knocked that up. That is which correct. Which could be confusing to people. Oh, yeah, totally, yeah. totally. I mean, both great movies, but that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> but that's not what happened um, to Yeah, that's not what happened to us. Um, but then we found ourselves um, having coffee on, on a couch at my house. And I was like, hey... You know, I brought you over here because I was wondering, would you ever want to, now that New Girl's done, would you ever want to make a TV show? And she was like, I was waiting for this call. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, she was like, finally, let's do this. Because I kind of felt like, I don't want to do TV unless I do it with Liz Merriweather. Like, I just felt like. Well, if you can do it with our, Liz Merriweather. Yeah, like yeah. our sensibilities, like, were aligned. We were, you know, we're friends, but we also have a comedy language um, and a mm-hmm. way of relating to each other that, that, that was harmonious, you know. So, ABC shows are of a type. Like, I was looking at the entire ABC slate. They're all about families. Every single one is about a family. And often, uh, (laughs) there's a fish-out-of-water element to it. Or one little thing off that makes it, it's the family that you know with this little twist. Right. So your twist is you're you're uh, in well, Nebraska and I will say we're we're newlyweds. So newlyweds. we're not, you know, a I, year a year into it. Yeah, we're just a year into it. So it's not right. like we have a big family or anything. It's it's more I believe on the newlywed game that was the definition of newlyweds within the first year. Yes. Yes, cuz I go by newlywed game rules. I don't course, say I, mean, I don't say suck. I say maybe won't be. I yeah, try yeah, to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. It's it's <laughs> it's it's a it's a good way to live. But yeah, I feel like they're newlyweds. That was really interesting to us. Like Liz and I, when we were talking about it, we were like, you know what? 
we both were sort of somewhat uh, newly married mm-hmm. and really enjoying the fodder for comedy within the space of like, you know, you're trying to be, you're putting your best foot forward, you're trying to be your best version of yourself. And then, you know, you get thrusted into something that's quite extraordinary and the onion starts to peel away and you, you unfurl the shit that's like, you know, really unsavory or just annoying. And that's when things get interesting, you know. So I think fish out of water is also something that I just love that trope. You know, it's like, I love that game, you know? So how does Dax become involved? Well, uh, Dax, it's funny. When we wrote the show, we were like, let's just write it in Dax Shepard's voice. Because it's like, he's like that guy, right? He's just, it's there, his comedic timing, everything. And so when you write, you can put anyone you want. You can cast as you will. Um, And so we used Dax. And then when it came time, I had met him like in the line at uh, the pickups for the kids. Like, our daughters went to the same preschool, and I was huh. like, oh, there's that other, yeah. that's that actor guy. <laughs> the one married like, to the other hey, Belle. Yeah, yeah, Belle. Hello, how are yeah. you? I know, yeah. my name's Belle, too. You know? <laughs> and then, um, so when it came time to offer it to him, you know, I did have his number because we went to the same preschool, so I was like, oh, I'll look on the preschool sheet and, like, <laughs> text it Without in. that, there'd be no way. I there'd know. There'd be no way I, to get in touch. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah Most just, casting falls through because no one has the number of the guy in the preschool Yeah, from sheet. the preschool sheet. Yeah, the phone tree is, is why most ba- of major our... Major networking yeah, happens at preschools in L.A. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So as such, you're pretty much obligated to go on his talk show, right? And debate like modern monetary theory. I get, I get. I feel like, you know what's really cool? He like like, gets you up into the attic. You know how it works with his talk show, I know, I know, armchair armchair expert. But what I would say is like, because I hang out with Dax all day long Uh while we're shooting, I feel like I've been on armchair. Like all I do is talk to him about, you know, life and everything. And, you know, we're both self-deprecating. And I'm like, oh, we did it. We did like, but what if it gets real? What if uh, the armchair expert episode like takes you to places you haven't been before? Listen, I don't know. I feel like we've covered everything at this point. I'm like, Jesus, Dax, what are we even going to talk about? You know, <laughs> if we do it, but but he's he's awesome. He's like he's just he's so he brings so much to it, and it's really he's really fun to pr- improvise with. And the two of us, like, it's integral that you know the core. A uh, couple, you're kind of rooting for them, and yes. we're very um, like ping pongy. You know, right. we have a very an ease to kind of like, you know, pitter patter with our comedy, which is really fun. In the, you know, next to the sort of slow cadence of Ed Begley Jr. and you <sighs> know, and Pam Greer, just like emanating warmth and love. And well, this is, brings me to, I mean, obviously, you want to have the best, funniest people, but it seems like your career is more so that than others. Like, if you look at the cast of of Children's Hospital, and if you look at some of the even Woo. the movies that you've done, you're casting. The best, funniest <laughs> people. Where you could just say, "Let them go, just let them uh, go," and you can't go wrong. Thank and you, you have you have Dave Kackner. Oh my God, do I have Dave Kackner? You have, you, I didn't know that Lennon Pam Greer Par- was Lennon Park. Lennon Parham. Parham. She is, is like plays they are ace. They're yeah. just like hard comedy. Right. You know, you just let them loose and you give them. Susie like, Essman. Susie Essman. Your mom. Plays oh, your mom. I looked I it up. Su- it's plausible, but on the borderline. Oh, age-wise. are you kidding? I mean, she, it's the twenty-three oh. year age difference is what I'm saying. Yeah, I always Susie, do that. She got to it. She yeah. got to it. <laughs> um, but also, I play. We play different ages in the show. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So, you know, it's acting. It's, it's acting. acting. It seems to me also that there are more jokes per minute than in a lot of the stuff I see, and I'm wondering if. <laughs> If it was, let's just go for it as much as we can, let's try to pack it with as many jokes, or if well, it was almost like, 
Well, I just, I sense that it used to be the idea of sitcomy was every three lines had to be a joke and that was criticized. And then it was seen as, you know, this is so much better. Not everything has to be in service of a joke. And all these sitcoms got a lot of praise because they were so real. And I would say, I'm, I'll give that sitcom praise, but you know, it's not very funny most of the time. And then right. no one seemed to care. But now maybe we're in an era where there can be sitcoms with lots of jokes. I thought New Girl had lots, lots, lots of jokes. Of jokes. I kind of love lots of jokes. And this sitcom is more a lots of jokes type. There's definitely lots of jokes in it, but I think we have lots of jokes mm-hmm. because we are, we're after earning heart. So we're like, you know, at the end, we kind of, we're like, yeah, we're going to go for some heart, guys. So <laughs> buckle up. You know yeah. what I mean? So we're like, joke, 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 pow. Right. Let's feel that's something. That's a classic formula. That's how totally. every Simpsons episode ends. But and you got to have the family as a core. I would argue that that's a great, that's not a bad, it's not a bad structure. So here's my last question. It's about something related to in a world. When I started in radio, they probably overcorrected for having accents and talking right. like regular people. And I was, you know, people would write in saying, why are you letting this guy in the air? And that was wrong. But I do think that there is something to craft and articulation. And maybe if you want to even, and this might not be fair, but a deep resonant voice. Look, we're putting our time into the craft of doing this right. And now if it's just game on and anyone could talk and hey, you're my buddy, maybe I'm a couple things. I'll blow the whistle on me. Maybe there's a lot of craft that goes into that that I'm not accounting for. But it does seem like a loosening of standards rather than a differentiation of standards. But I'm wondering as the uh, auteur of that film, what you think? I, I, I really feel that you. it seems like you're having some nostalgia about a certain type of voice and a craft. Mm-hmm. And I think that that still exists. But after all, I think I think there's a place for the sort of like really accessible kind of like, hey, I'm just me. I'm, I'm a regular gal. I'm a regular guy I think kind we're of overdoing thing. that too. We yeah. might be, <laughs> but then there's also a huge like group of announcers and commentators that have a more traditional both men and women, a more traditional sound. Yeah, it is true. And I do notice certain products, like all the cell phones are with the, I'm your pal. You could say, exactly, you could say the same for acting, okay? It's like, there's people like, well, what do you think of like YouTubers or, you know, uh, sort of like Instagram stars all of a sudden getting TV show deals, Mm -hmm. you know, and like being in movies. And I'm like, that's the way it changes. <laughs> like, that's, I think those people are really smart. Initially, I was like, whoa, that's intimidating, right? Like, I went to drama school in England and I studied for years, know. you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, ha, ha, and now, you know, it's like, how can I all of a sudden share the stage with, with people who just did it out of their living room? And I'm like, God damn, they are innovative. And so, like, I, I love, like, that ambition and doing it for yourself, like, that's incredible. There are people I follow on Instagram that I put in the TV show because I saw their Instagram. And I was like, they're hilarious. And they're prolific. And they're making stuff. And they're doing something. They're not sitting on their asses saying, you know, oh, I wish I could be in the movies or TV. You know, it's like, they're, like, putting it out there. And that energy and that force paid off for them. And I'm like, I got to commend that, you know? Yeah. So if you agree with Lake, do what she did, start a network TV show and give your Instagram heroes jobs. <laughs> it's pretty simple. Lake Bell is a star of the new ABC sitcom, Bless This Mess, with Dax Shepard. New Yorkers moved to Nebraska and the house ain't good. Great to meet you, Lake. Thank you. And now the spiel. 
Five presidential candidates, who are probably already in New Hampshire, (laughs) what a coincidence, participated in a never-ending, interlocking series of town halls, each more intricate than the last. Not really. The reason that CNN did one after another, after another, after another, after another town halls, quote-unquote town halls, was because of Democratic Party rules. The rules say that if candidates share the stage at once, it counts as a debate, and that would be breaking the rules. So all the candidates who are each staking a claim to being the fresh new game changer who dares to think big. So all these candidates submitted to audience and anchor questions because otherwise they'd be breaking the rules. Come on, Klobuchar. Just invite John Delaney to the stage at the same time as you. Show you're a rebel. No, well, okay then. Why don't you, Senator, field a question from Shannon, a student at the University of New Hampshire. Hi, Senator. Hi. Um... A man who is equally or lesser qualified than I am will automatically make more money than me. So my question is, what will you do to close the wage gap and make sure that women are paid at a fair rate? Senator Klobuchar, allow me to feel this. Shannon, thank you for your question. You are wrong. That is an insane thing to say. Or maybe you don't know the definition of automatically. That could be a problem if you're going into the field of dictionary editing, in which case I would say the wage disparity is warranted. Senator Klobuchar did not say this. I will play some of her answer. Right. Pass the Equal Pay Act. That would be a very good thing. Um, We already passed the Lilly Ledbetter Act. Uh, That was something that we were really proud of that made it easier for women um, to contest uh, these kinds of cases when they're in the workplace. Um, I think also um, making it easier for women to get the kind of jobs they should. I would love to pass the ERA, right? get that cemented into law across the country, and then make sure we have role models across the country. Because, you know that movie, Hidden Figures? Though maybe a better movie to cite would be The NeverEnding Story, because it wasn't, and you won't automatically get less money. Now, you'll probably get less than some of these other kids in the audience who went to a slightly different New England-based institution. And Carl Steve. Junior at Harvard, studying Matoa. She's a freshman at Harvard from Devon. Sophomore at Harvard from Compton, California. Carla is a senior at Harvard University from Massachusetts. Philo from Arizona. He's a freshman at Harvard, a supporter, studying sociology and chemistry at Harvard. Leo? I thought no one could get into Harvard. Yet everyone there got into Harvard. The questions they asked were pretty good. You got to wonder. You got to wonder, though, how'd they get in? What did they have? Something special to write about on their application essay? Uh, On that issue of climate, I want to bring in Madeline Woods, a senior at Harvard from Colorado. She was raised on a wolf sanctuary. Okay. Now, Chris Cuomo, the moderator who you heard there, he went to Yale, which is, you know, about as good a school as Harvard, I'd say. Yet the quality of the questions, maybe not as good as the kids were asking. Uh, what does that mean in the context of frozen pizza? This would be unpopular like, with this no, crowd. He, they think frozen pizza is a food group <laughs> here. Okay. But do you think yeah. it should be allowed in school lunches? Actually, I want to be fair to Cuomo. He actually wound up nailing the senator down on the question of if she thought frozen pizza is okay in school lunches. She said it was, but she also allowed that the sauce shouldn't count as a vegetable, which had come up earlier in her career. It's good to know. 
Senator Elizabeth Warren also handled a bunch of questions from Harvard students, but also regular old undergrads who were raised by humans like Jacob Dwyer from St. Anselm College. You have often been a vocal critic of police and the criminal justice system, both at the state and federal levels. As a young Massachusetts voter and aspiring police officer who has lived through countless tragedies, including the recent murders of Sergeant Gannon of Yarmouth and Officer Michael Chesna of Weymouth, how can you uh, assure me that you will support legislation that keeps law enforcement safe? Now, allow me to answer this question, Senator Warren. You know, countless has no true definition, but the most commonly agreed to definition is too high to count, and that's why you are wrong. The National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund tracks officer fatalities going back a couple hundred years. And since 1791, 127 police officers in the state of Massachusetts have been killed by gunfire. So it's one every other year throughout history. You want to talk recent history? It's about one a year. On the other hand, what we've done in America is weaponized police departments, militarized police departments, funded police departments to the hilt. So actually, the chance of an officer being killed in the line of fire is the lowest it's ever been in the nation's history. Maybe, and I'm all for the safety of officers, of course, but maybe it would help if we recognized where civilization has made progress and not just walk around perceiving we're under assault when we're actually not. Of course, Elizabeth Warren would lose if she said that, even though it's true. What she did say was more gentle and not confrontational like me. I'm a jerk who hosts a podcast. She's a politician, and she talked about reform. And in fact, she talked about one of the very officers that the student had mentioned. You mentioned Sergeant Gannon's tragic death in Massachusetts. I wrote an op-ed with his parents about asking for our leaders across this country to step up and pass some sensible gun safety laws. Cory Booker was not invited to the town hall, yet he was present in a way that didn't really reflect well on the senator. This is Eric Jemba, a sophomore at Harvard, as you can tell from the sweatshirt, from New Jersey, studying environmental engineering. Great sweatshirt, Arjumba. He's, a, he's a, uh, a former intern for Senator Cory Booker. He says he's currently undecided on who to support in 2020. Eric? Ooh, somewhere from a house in Newark. A cry of, no, Eric Jemba, no, could be heard. Senator Kamala Harris showed up. I don't know that she put any more meat on the bones of the proposals that she offered in her first CNN town hall. She actually ran into a little bit of trouble during that one because she endorsed a version of Medicare for all that might eliminate all private insurance, and she had to walk that back a little bit. Last night, she played it closer to the vest. She said this. But I want to say this because it doesn't end there. She also said this. Um, I will also say this. I guess she had to tell us that. I have to tell you that. Good conversation. I'm really interested in having that conversation. There's talking and there's doing. Senator Harris has a habit of talking about talking about what she'd like to be doing. Mayor Pete Buttigieg was in the House. Of course he was. He went to Harvard like everyone else there. Buttigieg at one point gave the normal politician answer about the economy of the future, citing exceptional initiatives that are just that, exceptional. They're the exception, meaning they're not easy to scale. Take, for instance, this one where he addressed the loss of manufacturing jobs. We can make trade work for our communities. One of my favorite examples, actually, is a union auto worker, the UAW uh, facility in St. Joseph County, where I live, that is making electric vehicles for a startup based in Silicon Valley. 
uh, where uh, the funds uh, and a lot of the investment came from China. Which is a nice anecdote, but how replicable is it on a large scale as policy, which is what I was thinking until two sentences later when Buttigieg said this. That facility I was telling you about making electric vehicles, uh, even though they're planning to make something on the order of thirty to 50,000 cars, does it with hundreds of workers, not thousands or tens of thousands, the way it used to work in the Studebaker days when, when South Bend was an automotive center. That part's not going to change. So manufacturing can continue to grow stronger in this country. But Uh, it's going to be less and less labor-intensive, less and less human beings on the floor per dollar of output. Huh. It's honest. It's accurate. It contrasts with all the big, beautiful jobs are coming back. Just, you see, tired of winning. Bernie was at the event, Senator Bernie Sanders. He actually showed a sense of humor. Next question. Gabriel Cedarberg, sophomore at Harvard, studying government from Minnesota. Gabriel. Hi, Senator. Hey, Gabriel. What is one thing that you have changed your mind about recently? (laughs) Nothing. I've been consistent for... No, just kidding. And then he offered what headlines on CNN said, and these headlines got play everywhere, the perfect answer on the question of, should we impeach Donald Trump? If, and this is an if, if for the next year, year and a half, going right into the heart of the election... All that the Congress is talking about is impeaching Trump and Trump, Trump, Trump and mullah, mullah, mullah. And we're not talking about health care. We're not talking about raising the minimum wage to a living wage. We're not talking about combating climate change. We're not talking about sexism and racism and homophobia and all of the issues that concern ordinary Americans. What I worry about is that works to Trump's advantage. So I don't know what's perfect about that. The supposition is that an impeachment inquiry will prevent the Democratic Party from talking about racism. Really, no members of the Democratic Party are going to talk about racism again if Donald Trump is impeached. You have been to the online part of America, right? You know, I bet, actually, this would be the most compelling argument for impeachment to the exact mythic, persuadable former factory worker in the Midwest— If you tell that guy, the out-of-work machinist from Muncie, who uh, was persuaded into the Trump column, if you told him we'd be embarking on an experiment where Democrats won't be talking about racism, and he'd be saying, wait, I don't have to hear fights over who is the biggest homophobe for the whole election if the Democrats just go for impeachment? I will have to think about impeachment. So that was not, in fact, a perfect answer. But Bernie Sanders did give a perfectly Bernie answer. He was asked, should prisoners, not ex-cons, people currently in prison, should they get to vote? And the example suggested by the questioner was the Boston bomber. Should he get to vote? And Bernie said, yes. To this New England audience, Bernie said that Jokart Tsarnaev should be voting, I guess up until he's executed in the federal prison where he's serving his death sentence. Putting aside the specifics, And I don't think radicalized Chechens turned mass murderers or a huge demographic that's going to be swinging any election soon. But putting that aside, you have to acknowledge that Bernie does not ever say anything other than exactly what Bernie thinks. You know how all those other candidates, I've talked about it, I'm guilty of talking about it. Oh, they're trying to get to the left of Bernie or not let Bernie get to the left of them. Good luck with that. 
He wants Joker Tsarnaev to vote. I mean, the guy's a citizen. Let him have his say. I'm sure he's quite concerned about shoring up the Medicare trust fund. All right. Then Bernie took his next question. It was from uh, actually the son of Sam, David Berkowitz. I believe he has a question for Senator Sanders about soybean tariffs. No, that did not happen. But remember earlier in the spiel where I facetiously suggested some honest but polarizing answers that Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar could have given, but of course they wouldn't give it because they're politicians. Bernie would have given those answers. Bernie does give those answers. Bernie blows my mind. Give Sir and I have the vote. Sure. I can't evaluate Bernie Sanders on the right or wrong continuum. He is just reinventing the game. When asked about... Would his brand of socialism nationalize industries? Here's what Senator Sanders said. I was the mayor of a city for eight years. Did I nationalize any of the industry in the city of Burlington, Vermont? I don't think so. You just can't fault that answer, can you? Great. Yeah. You be you, Bernie. I think the man is, in fact, authentic. And I know that voters love authenticity. Thing is, he's authentically, let us just say, unconventional. And then you have Kamala Harris's answer to, should we let the Boston bomber vote? She said this. I think we should have that conversation. Because she loves talking about talking. And then there was Pete Buttigieg's stance. What do you think? Should people convicted of sexual assault of the Boston Marathon bomber, should they be able to vote? While incarcerated? Yeah. No, I don't think so. Which to my ears is also authentic, but in this case, authentically sensible. It was an informative, if a might exhausting night. I did not know that the Boston Marathon bomber would get mentioned more than Putin, Kim Jong-un, or Xi Jinping combined, but that's what happens when you get five disparate candidates together. No, not together. That would violate rules. They all fielded questions from a room full of college students, and I think we now all share in the belief that the children are the future, teach them right, and dissuade them from eating the neighbor's livestock. And that's it for today's show. Pierre Bien-Aimé and Daniel Schrader produced The Gist. We all had a good brainstorming session about movies where the titles are a lie, like Unbreakable or A Simple Plan. The usual suspects made the list. TJ Raphael is senior producer of Slate Podcasts. She called us out for stealing a Lionel Hutz joke with the never-ending story thing. But you know what? If you're going to steal, steal from the worst fictional lawyer who couldn't possibly defend you. Sign up for the GIST newsletter. It's at slate.com slash GISTnews. We'll run down every show of the week. We'll also answer a trivia question, which means we have to ask a trivia question. And it's this. In the CNN town hall, Elizabeth Warren claims she got something in the mail. How does the thing she got in the mail relate to another senator, Alan Simpson. Former Senator Alan Simpson and Elizabeth Warren, current Senator Elizabeth Warren, connected by something Elizabeth Warren just got in the mail. What is that thing? How are they connected? The gist, committed to perpetuating the Nebraska real estate bubble by any means necessary. Oomperu depru dupru, and thanks for listening. And now the spiel. Five presidential candidates who were probably already in there let them you know what just give that to the people they'll do what they want with that